Hey everyone, welcome to episode 9. Uh, we made it this far. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're still here with us. Yes. How you doing, man? Uh, doing pretty good. Uh, so I do have a story to tell this week. You do? Alright, yes. story time. Story time with Mark. So, uh, I used to be, well, maybe not just used to be, but I, you know, when I was young, I was, uh, I was a bit of a smart ass, you know? Oh, really? I don't see that at all. No. (laughs) And, um, I used to go around, uh, saying things to people and make them confused and, uh. Maybe irritated as well. And I used to always go up to people, perfect strangers, and ask them, Excuse me, would you happen to have a box of instant mashed potatoes by any chance? And they would uh, look at me dumbfounded and I would, you know, just walk away. Well, a friend of mine thought it was really funny, that bit that I did. (laughs) So, yeah, so he decided to give it a try. And he uh, he went up to the these guys at. Richardson Square Mall and uh, you know said hello would you happen to have a box of instant mashed potatoes and the guys jumped him (laughs) just jumped him and started beating the hell out of him in the mall and uh, why I guess I guess he didn't do it in uh, you know my way of being funny. <laughs> he had poor delivery. Yeah, poor delivery, uh, poor timing. You know, maybe not the best judge of character. You know, so yeah. I've always thought that uh, I have been lucky in life not to make people want to constantly beat the shit out of me. You know, you can take the comedy to the edge. Yeah, yeah. You just just to the edge, no further. You know. Uh, uh, so you had an idea for uh, something to do on the show. Yeah. So we're both Gen Xers. We grew up the same time period. We probably watched the same films and. But probably seen them at different times. And so I was wondering, like, if we go through the films that started Generation X at, at, at 1965 when we were born and watch how they change and shift because Gen X was like a small generation. I mean, we, we were not the baby boomers at all. I mean, our parents had the pill and abortion. So, yeah. <laughs> RIP, the other. Gen Xers that didn't make it here. <laughs> and so it'd be interesting to watch some of these films. And because I know a lot of films I saw when I was a kid that really fucked me up and didn't, you know, like TV was my dad, essentially. So oh, yeah. a lot of a lot of the time I was just put in front of the TV and preoccupied with that. So I watched uh, Apocalypse Now before I was even 10 years old. You know. Well, like I've said before in the in the podcast, I watched The Exorcist when I was five. Yeah, you know. So, so I thought if we went through like when Gen X started, nineteen sixty five, mm-hmm. because the other thing that I noticed when I looked at that it, are the films. They started making films about kids that are killers, and that was, I always found that interesting. Uh, as baby boomers started to make films uh, on their own, you would have killer kids. And I thought that was a neat concept of what they thought of Gen X and where we were coming. Because Rosemary's Baby, that baby would have been a Gen Xer. Oh, yeah. Definitely. (laughs) So, you know, uh, The Exorcist, Reagan, you know, 
she would have been a Gen Xer. You know, the, all those fears those parents had about those kids uh, becoming killers or possessed or everything is our generation. So it's weird to see these now and have a different take on them. And some of them I haven't seen at all. So I thought we'd start at like 1965 and maybe pick a movie we either were affected by or have never seen. Uh, okay, uh, now, uh, what we should do is every week we should pick the two movies we want to watch and make sure they're different, you know? Right, so, right. So, um, and, oh, go so ahead. 1965 has, like, a lot of films. Oh, yeah. And so, I was, like, going, you know, what from that year would have affected our generation or have any kind of effect on us as people. And so I'm just curious. I thought that would make a great way to kind of get into the episode and start the series, you know? Yeah. Uh, now, now it's, for. it's from 1965 to what? 1980. Well, I would say we just keep going. Oh, uh, until now. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. sounds good to me. Yeah. Because then as we break out of, because what's interesting is we'll go from movies that were made for us, you know, projected at us. Like mm-hmm. I look at Bad News Bears as that was a movie that they saw. That's that generation's sports film. Yeah, yeah, up, exactly. Up to the point where Gen Xers are making their own films and telling their own stories. Okay. So it's interesting to see baby boomers say, well, this is what we think of this next generation as as they portray us as kids and market to us and do I mean, all kinds of shit, you know. I mean, we were an experimental generation. We had, we had cartoons that were essentially thirty-minute uh, commercials for toys. Oh yeah. That no one, no one saw a problem with that for a long time. <laughs> no, I mean, Masters of the Universe. They made the commercial to sell the toys. It wasn't yeah. the other way. It wasn't like uh, they made the toys because they had the show. No, they did back asswards back then, you know. Yeah, so I, you know, I thought it'd be interesting to to go back through these films and see if we start to see like trends or different things that, you know, like we've talked about. TV was apparent for us a lot of the time, and I feel like most Gen Xers that were latchkey kids, TV was their parent in some way yeah i always thought it would kind of be fun most gen xers should have a necklace with the key on it you know yeah exactly (laughs) because i I try to think of the experiences us as a generation have gone through and they're just and most of them are kind of sad because it's like you do you have that key you have yeah i had the key uh uh, Did you walk to school? How? What was the first? Yeah, I, you were. I walked were to school to alone. Yeah, I walked to school. Uh, movie I was taken to and dropped off. And dropped off. Yeah. Um. Uh. It was probably. Uh, let me see. Uh. I can't remember, but I do remember in 1982. Uh, I lived in Duncanville and I rode my bike from Duncanville to Forum 303 in Irving with my, with my sister to see Tron. Holy shit, dude. Uh, My parents didn't give a shit what we did, man. (laughs) I looked up at age 10. I was dropped off at the East Gate theater in garland mm-hmm. uh that it was like a two-screen theater it was that small uh-huh. uh and saw going ape with Tony <laughs> danza and danny devito holy <laughs> shit it, i bet with uh tony danza it was hard to tell which was the person and which was the ape it's so funny to look back and, and remember that movie because it was clearly a big experience for me, but have never seen that movie since or ever seen it available anywhere. Oh, I remember now. Because uh, it, was, it was one of those, if you inherit or, or like you had to take these apes mm-hmm. 
in to inherit a bunch of money, and I think that was the premise. Wow. I don't know. You can watch it on YouTube for like two ninety nine. dollars uh, Yeah. Yeah. Hard pass. <laughs> that might be my, my 1981 film. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll see about that. Um, but at 10 years old, yeah, my mom just dropped me <laughs> off in Garland, and we lived in Rowlett and would just come pick me up. So uh, I do remember my mother dropped me off uh, the first time. She still watched my sister, but dropped me off at the theater in uh, uh, Hollywood. The, the, the Grauman Chinese Theater was our, oh, clo- wow. our closest theater. It's where I saw Star Wars. Uh, she took me to see, or uh, dropped me off so I could see uh, Private Eyes, uh, the Don Knotts, Tim Conway movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great, was a great team up back in the day. Yeah. Uh, Apple Dumpling Gang and Private yeah. Eyes and all that shit. So, uh, yeah, I think that was the first one. I remember uh, when I was real young, maybe four or five, uh, my great grandmother came to Los Angeles to visit, uh, you know, uh, uh, the kids and, you know, my sister and. She had just been born recently, and uh, I was four or five, and uh, uh, I knew uh, what buses to take to go places. So I would guide my great-grandmother from uh, Denmark uh, how to get to the market and all these places, you know, back then, because you just... You learned it, you know, when you're yeah, a kid. Yeah, we didn't. I don't think helicopter parenting existed. Not at all. No, no. Barely I, parenting existed. No, barely parenting. I mean, uh, uh, we came home when the lights turned on. That was yeah. that was our signal. We didn't wear a watch. We just saw the the street lights turn on, and we well, knew we I'm had very- to come home. I was a very nerdy kid. I did have a watch because I could play Cubert on it. So that was how nerdy I was. I yeah. A lot. Yeah, I could play, uh, use a calculator on my watch, you know, back then. Those were uh, very high-tech watches back then. Cubert, uh, man. Yeah, Cubert on my on my watch. I, I, tech. I used to carry around my, uh, I mean, I carried it everywhere. It was this, uh, uh, like a word game. Like, I don't know if it was, uh, the TI one or it, oh, yeah. it had hangman and word games and all kinds of oh, stuff okay. like that. You know? Yeah. I was, a, I was pretty nerdy too, you know? So, uh, yeah, those were, were fun days. I remember, I mean, even as I got older, no heller, helicopter parenting. I didn't, no. I, I, I did not have a curfew. Yeah. I don't uh, think uh, I all through, all through high school or anything. Well, I got caught skipping school in middle school. And it, it, this is the problem is my mom worked for the city of Rowlett. And so oh, yeah. they knew where she lived. They knew me. And and so my mom would come home for lunch. So I would and, – and, again, I loved being on my computer back then. We didn't have the internet, but I would dial up BBSs. Sure. So my – I mean, my fun was turning on the radio, sitting on my Commodore 64, dialing up all the – bulletin boards that i subscribe to and just go and read mail downloading a game or something my mom would come home at lunch and uh, uh so uh i was with a friend of mine we bailed she left and so as we start to go back into my house a cop car drove by that was a um unmarked car and my buddy noticed the plates were all numbers and said hey that's an unmarked cop car and then we see him turning around and as soon as we see him turn around we took off running and they pulled guns on us uh but yeah <laughs> and uh and and i mean we were just like in eighth grade 
Oh, how and so funny. they pulled they pulled guns on us. But what was worse is they had to take us back to my mom's office, which was at the police station. Oh no! So, so so then it was just like you know guilt guilt bitch bitch. You know I I had done I I wasn't a bad kid. I hadn't done a lot, and so uh, I caught hell. The other dude caught a lot of hell from his dad, but he had skipped a lot of school. So uh, hey, those were the days. I mean, yeah, I mean. Uh, I wasn't. The worst I had was I got caught with 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 a, a stack of Playboys I had. <laughs> uh, you know, I I got caught once. Uh, uh, so at my father's business, he was in a men's hair replacement. Uh, back yes. there, you will see a, a Humphrey Bogart's toupee on the wall yeah. right there. So I've seen that in real life. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, it, at his business, it was all for men. So he had Playboys and penthouses for men to read, uh, or I guess... For the articles. Yes, for the uh, interviews and the cartoons. Uh, <laughs> but I got caught. Uh, uh, I, I would take them from my, my, my parents and just kind of hot, sneak them out. They didn't care. You know, my mother's Europeans. She didn't give a fuck, you know? Uh, but, uh, I, I used to bring them to school and I would sell, uh, uh pictures out of the playboy for a dollar a piece. I made Genius. tons of money. Uh, I would Genius. I would also bring candy bars and sell those as well. I had a book bag full of Playboy pictures and candy bars. I was, uh, you know, the, the underworld back then. You know, <laughs> but you can you you can connect anyone with what they need. Yeah, I also sold video games door to door and at school. I I, I had. I I sold them for this uh, like mail order company, you know. So okay. so yeah, I was I was doing a bunch of shit to get money back then. So yeah, and later on, I did more illicit shit to get money, you know, in high yeah, I was school. I say I when I did stuff back then, like I got like you know uh, MCI. Uh, calling card numbers so you could dial long distance but again i was like in eighth grade and who the hell was i gonna call yeah long distance you know <laughs> exactly uh or downloading games you know finding uh games online and just downloading them straight to a disc so that you could play uh i mean that was the most i ever did i didn't really get into trouble till high school i used to crack a lot of games i got into the cracking movement and the, you know, underground oh, shit. How, yeah. I mean, did you ever play, uh, what was it? I mean, I got uh, into... Custer's Revenge? Did you ever get a copy of Custer's Revenge? Uh, I'm sure I did, you know. I, I collected as much wares as possible, you know. Now, Custer's uh, Revenge, for those who don't, who are listening, who may be a, a wee bit younger, was the first pornographic video game huh that i can recall i i think that was flesh gordon the first one as far as i remember i don't know we may have to look these up and and challenge because uh i i'm pretty sure custer's revenge was 16 bit now, now i'm gonna look it up uh, i think uh flesh gordon was eight you know, so, I mean, uh, the penises were not very easy to spot, you know. <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, it was an Atari 2600 game. Yeah, that's 8-bit. And it was released November 1982. Oh, okay. And you're saying Flesh... Flesh Gordon video game, man. Yeah. Well, the the porno game suspense is killing me. 1986. Oh, okay. Oh. The four years. It was a Commodore 64. 
ZX Spectrum CPC game. Uh, so personal computer. Yeah, that was uh, that was the first one that I, th- I remember hearing about. I pro- I probably saw the other one. I have no idea. It was really bad. It was just you know how they would make stick figures. Oh yeah. It's it's it would just be your screen would be like stick figures of like um, of these officers, you know, raping Indian women. But they, but it was just the act. It was that was all. It it would be like a devil's three way. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, with eight bit graphics. Uh, I think but I it had... wasn't a game you could buy. You had to you had to find it online. You had to find it on a oh. board or something. I I think I had so many uh, playboys that I didn't search that out. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was online adult entertainment. Oh, okay. And I was 10, and I thought, well, shit, I want to see what that's about. Yeah, those were the days uh, when you would uh, download a uh, Cindy Crawford GIF or JPEG, (laughs) and it would take all night. Yep, but it was worth it. Yeah. Because it, it, it was high res. Oh, yes. Very high res. But uh, let's look at 1965. You, you, okay. You are, you, you're already sure of what film you want to do? Yeah, yeah. I love this film. It is one of the few Western comedies. Uh, Cat Blue. Oh, uh, that's right. Uh, Jane Fonda and Lee Marvin, and uh, they had a couple of balladeers uh, singing the story. Uh, I think Stubby, what is it? Stubby K? Stubby K, yes. Stubby K and Nat King Cole were the balladeers, and they sang, you know, the ballad of Cat Blue and and uh, told the story of what's going on and uh, Lee Marvin he is the bad guy and the good guy he plays dual roles he won the Oscar uh, uh, for that part and uh, as the good guy he is gonna uh, seek revenge for. The bad guy, him, you know, and the good guy is a drunk outlaw or, you know, a drunk gunslinger. And it's really funny. And it's great that there is a woman that is like the head of the story and uh, a gunslinger herself. You know, Jane and Jane Fonda is not hard to look at back then, you know. Uh And we'll uh, Barbarella soon. Oh my god, Barbarella. Anyways, I'll take my <laughs> tongue off the floor. Uh, but yeah, I really love that movie. We'll talk about it more, you know, uh, when we get into 65. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm curious too because 65 is such a weird year for movies because the number one movie that year was, um, Oh my God! The musical, holy shit! Sound of Music. Yeah, and uh, I mean, wish for that I grew up. I loved the Sound of Music as a kid, you know. But uh, when you look back at it, it's a musical about Nazis. Yeah, that's the weird part. You know, I mean, of course, we all love the producers. Another musical about Nazis. About Nazis. <laughs> That you would think wouldn't be successful. I don't know. You know, I, I've been looking through like the top twenty-five. I, I, I'm not sure that any of these films impact me or our generation in the in the top twenty-five. Yeah. No. I. I I just saw Cat Blue last year. I had always heard good things about it, but I just had the opportunity to see it. 
and it didn't impact me, you know, but. Yeah. And what's interesting is the 25th film in the top grossing movies of 1985 or 1965 only made $5,000, which is. <laughs> That's a so, lot of money back then, though. That's a lot of money back then, yeah, because, like, the top two movies uh, broke $100 million, and that was it. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, back in uh, uh, 64, uh, you you could buy uh, a nice car for, you know, a couple thousand. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. But here's your top ten for that year. The Sound of Music, Dr. Shivago, Thunderball. Yo, uh, Thunderball. Very, <laughs> very good movie. Those Magnificent Men in Their Flying Machines. Never that saw darn, that. That Darn Cat. I. It's so huh. weird to see the money the money drop off because the top two films made over $100 million. Then Thunderball made $63 million. Then it just cuts in half. The top, the fourth gross, grossing film of that year only made thirty-one million, and or the fourth grossing film, I'm sorry, it only made thirty-one million. The fifth grossing, that darn cat, which would be a Disney film, only made twenty-eight million. But I guess that was a lot back a then. A lot of money back then, man. It's and it'll be interesting to watch it as we watch as we watch each year, and then it shifts to the seventies, and they discover summer films. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I nothing on here. I go still holds up. I mean, uh, for a few dollars more, I think was in sixty five. Very yeah. good. Uh, one of the uh, Clint Eastwood. Uh, 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 good, the bad, and the ugly trilogy. Men with no name. I mean, yeah, really good film. You know that one. Okay, so that one I would say still stands. I'd say uh, Flight of the Phoenix. Never saw it. I saw the remake, but the original has Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, I think I have that on my watch list, but. Man. I was gonna pick Thunderball and uh, because I love that film, uh, but uh, Cat Blue I think was groundbreaking because of Jane Fonda, you know. Yeah, that's true. And she's still working. I mean, what she got six season on Netflix with Lily Tomlin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ooh, shit! There is a Sam Peckinpah film. And I loved his movies, uh, Major which, Dundee. No, I never saw that. Yeah, Charlton Heston, Richard Harris, and James Coburn. I might take that one. Because I do like Peckinpah, but he's kind of a crazy bitch. Totally crazy. I mean, just drunk. and I, It's weird to have someone who is, I guess, an artist. You would put them in that artist arena making such violent films with such drunken abandon that guy I mean the stories you read about Sam Peckinpah are crazy oh well think yeah of course holy shit Mikhail's Navy joins the Air Force was a movie yeah hard pass I (laughs) I, Tim Tim Conway yeah, I used to watch... That was the fucking corny show ever made. You know, Mikel's Navy. I used to watch it as a kid and just go... I'm sitting there waiting for the jokes. I See, that was a show I like, but I don't remember it. Like, yeah. I used to watch in syndication, you know, like Green Acres yeah. and all those shows that were on. It was kind of in that group of local programming. Sure. I just remember... Ernest, or wait a minute, Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. What is this in McHale's Navy? I, I think Ernest Borgnine is in it. And that's it? That's the only one I could think of. Shit. Yeah. I, I, I mean, and it was just, it just showed, you know, your military misbehaving and hitting on women. And it was kind of boring. Uh, every story was about a bad poker game and, uh, 
they had a really, uh, I think there was, uh, a pretty bad Asian stereotyping going on and stuff. So oh, yeah. eh, it's hard to watch these days, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I started rewatching the Rockford files and, uh, <laughs> even in the Rockford files in the pilot, uh, it was funny because, uh, it was really two episodes. Uh-huh. And Shelby goes, why, why'd they do that? And I go, well, you know, if, if, if they, bought a pilot and the show didn't work they could always turn it into a movie of the week and just do it that way and that that's kind of the way the rockford files pilot is but he is every 70s bad cop in in that show slapping women like Lindsay wagner is the guest star she's like the uh client he's trying to find out stuff and at one point he like slaps her on the ass and says go go put on something slinky we got a job to do <laughs> And uh, then he beats up some guy in a in a bathroom, and he goes, uh, "What's he goes? Uh, he goes, oh yeah, yeah. It's easy to beat up guys like you. I know guys like you. You're a little off, you know. You got something not right with you. You're a little queer, right?" <laughs> <laughs> Hear James Garner call out some dude and beat his ass and call him queer and just yeah, yeah. Ultimate seventies TV. With yeah, no idea. But uh, that is the most cal- most Los Angeles TV show, I think, you know. Super L.A. Uh, yeah, if you enjoyed the last uh, Quentin Tarantino film where you kind of see L.A. in that time period, this is this is like that, this is the 70s, so it's a little bit later than that, but it, it does, it, Dirty L.A. is kind of great. Oh, yeah, I grew up then, so... Uh, they're in L.A., so, you know, I remember so many things about it that would show up in uh, Rockford Files and uh, Emergency and Adam-12, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. So, what have you uh, been watching this week? Well, I I really tried to watch a couple or this the lawnmower man series series <laughs> well the first the one and two. Oh, oh the yeah the, the two movies you watched two i i tried i fell asleep <laughs> both times at the end like i don't know how it ends because i kept falling asleep it was that bad you know but i just re- i just remember how great it was like Ooh, virtual reality. This is so cool. It makes this dumb man smart. And uh, <laughs> and then it's weird because the movie, the sequel takes place like six years later. And you go from the guy in the first movie. He's been completely replaced by Matt Frewer. The guy oh. plays uh, Max Headroom. Yeah. And there's a little bit of Max Headroom in there at times. So he's playing the guy from the first movie who was Jeff Fahey, yeah. who is n- nothing like him. <laughs> and uh, and so in between the first movie and the second movie, it, it's so funny because the second movie makes L.A. look like Ready Player One. You know, it's the cyberpunk apocalypse of the future. And they were only able to keep one actor from the first film, and it was a kid. So he's this you know, kid living in the streets, learning to survive in the futuristic world of L.A. Uh, wasn't uh, Pierce Brosnan in the first one? Pierce Brosnan and Jeff Fahey are the leads in the first oh, one. And okay. are home runs, man. They, yeah. They're really good because they sell it. Oh, yeah. But uh, it got me to reading the best part of the story. This is probably the biggest money-making Stephen King movie ever because he didn't have to do anything but sue them. Uh, to get his name removed, and 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 then when they had his name removed, they were going into production for VHS. They went ahead and put his name on all the VHS lawnmower mans. So they got so so they got hit again, and it was interesting to read that they find them daily for not removing Stephen King's name. Yeah, wow. daily they were fined. So uh, Stephen King just took them to court. One. And then one again when they put uh, they had his name on the VHS, and he's just profited from something that has nothing to do with the film, because the original 
because the original story was about a guy looking to hire someone to mow his lawn. Yeah. And uh, he catches the guy mowing the lawn at one point, and it's a remote control lawnmower while he is naked on all fours eating all the grass that's being mowed. He's some sort of disciple of Pan. It's a real fucked up weird story. Uh, but it is nothing like what Lawnmower Man is in the movie, which is more like a, oh, Flowers for Algernon type, you yeah. know, guy gets smart, super smart, can do all this stuff. And uh, like he takes a girl into virtual reality or, and shows her sex and it blows her mind. And, 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 and so he accidentally kills her. <laughs> Uh, that reminds me, uh, I just have to tell you this for a second. Um, I had a couple of friends, uh, uh, years ago, uh, 95, 96 around then. And, uh, they, they ran, uh, one of them's dead. I don't know what happened to the other one. Uh, but they had a porno magazine. Uh, it was uh, uh, called uh, Gentleman's Choice. It was a porno mag and a guide to Dallas gentlemen's clubs. Oh, okay. And I used to write the cyber sex article every month. <laughs> Please tell me you have a copy somewhere. Somewhere. I have to dig it up, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. That just reminded me because it was uh, pretty funny that I was writing a cyber sex article back then. It was the 90s. Yeah. Everyone thought that, that VR was the future. We still aren't even there. But it's so funny to watch it now with Zuck out there selling that meta uh, Facebook shit. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what, I mean, it looks like lawnmower man it's so fucking bad you know and and but pierce brosnan is zuck in this movie vr will solve everything there's no limitations it's like it's all this bullshit stuff and all he ever does in there is go in there and fall or you can fall fly or one other thing and i can't remember what it was but like even his wife comes in and and accuses him of having sex (laughs) in the chair in the vr chair and it's like not even a concept that he's thought of. And you go, well, that's bullshit. <laughs> Anytime any innovation is made in technology, porno usually leads the way. Oh, yeah. It led, led the way with uh, VHS. Oh, you know, it led the way with the expansion of the Internet. You know, so. But, uh so, so I watched the first one. I had to watch it twice because I fell asleep the first time <laughs> during that one too. And uh, it's just, you know, it's I, I see that where they were going, but it's so weird the business of movies back then because the they bought the Stephen King top name really is what they bought. They put it on a script called Cyber God, and that was how the movie came together. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy shit, man. And then, and then the second one it takes place in 1996, where it's a uh, cyberpunk futuristic LA, and they were only able to get one actor to return, and it's the kid actor who was in um, shit that. Oh fuck! And I've seen that movie. Eric, the parody of action films, Last Action Hero. Oh, yeah, I know kid you're talking about. Yeah, so that kid, he's the only one from the first movie in this movie. And it's so funny hearing them talk about technology. And this chip is the only chip that can give you the VR that that we had in the first film and how they hijack it. It's just the second film's really fucking terrible. And Matt Frewer is there being weird. He's not even like the guy in the first film. But the best part is uh, the bad guys played by, um, oh, my God, the actor from Breaking Bad who played the police officer. I can't remember his name right off the top of my head. Uh, Dean. Uh, yes. Uh, what was Dean. Uh, Dean somebody. I yeah, know who you're talking about. 
Yeah, so he's the corporate big bad in the second one. And it's so funny because, you know, everyone's doing like FaceTime like we have now. But they do it like in the 1984 where your face is like in the camera and you see no background. So it's so he's always just right there talking to you and it gives you that 1984 feeling. Wow. And he talks and he carries his voice very uh, in one tone and doesn't enunciate a lot. It's a very weird thing for the character that you see in Breaking Bad to this character that he did like 30 years before. Wow, that's crazy. I did see some uh, uh, Gen X movies uh, this week. I yeah. saw Toxic Avenger. Oh, a great one. Yeah, the first, uh, first time I'd ever seen it. I always wanted to see that. But, yeah. I also saw The Princess Bride. What do you think? I've always, I've seen it many times, you know, but uh, uh, having a rewatch was uh, pretty interesting. Um, I loved it again, you know, it's a pretty good flick, you know. Yeah, you can uh, check that out on uh, Hulu, it's over there. Uh, The Toxic Avenger is on Plex. And uh, I also saw uh, uh, What About Bob? Bill Murray. Yeah, that's on Hulu. Pretty good flick. Yeah. I met Richard Dreyfuss at a convention. Oh, really? Yeah, I I was surprised he actually did like a Dallas Con uh, back in the day. I got uh, my mom a uh, The Goodbye Girl. That's like one of her favorite movies. Sure. So I got him to auto- autograph a poster for her. And, uh, and he goes, you know, like, this is a great rom-com, but if you want a really great rom-com, you should watch Annie Hall. And I looked at him, and I just said, I would not watch another Woody Allen movie if you paid me. <laughs> <laughs> that dude slept with his stepdaughter. Yeah. I mean, it's weird to see celebrities still kind of embrace that dude. And I'm like, no, he's a bad dude. Like, if, if you can't even pull that out and say he's a bad dude and quit recommending his movies, I don't know what's wrong. Well, you know, people, they still uh, they still watch uh, movies by a lot of directors that have been, you know, weird. Yeah. I mean, uh, Jack Nicholson, uh, uh, you know, Polanski was accused of uh, raping this girl. Yeah. In this hot tub. But he did it in the hot tub with Jack Nicholson. So. I never had heard that Jack Nicholson. So. Stop watching Jack Nicholson movies. People won't, you know. No. So come on, I mean, things. But Woody w- Allen, dude. It, I, I don't know, man. Yeah, know. Uh, yeah. It was his uh, stepdaughter who was in her twenties. She was thirteen. Uh, she. That was what. Look, there's just been. Uh, a lot of bullshit surrounding it, you know? Yeah. She, they got together when they were in her 20s. Uh, there's no evidence anything happened when she was 13, you know? There was, they, they did a documentary like last year. I think it was HBO. Yeah, I watched uh, it. Yeah, and it to me, it showed more that this guy was doing more than with just her. Like, he had been doing things with other kids uh yeah it, no it's it's hard to watch something like manhattan when he's dating a kid in that movie too you know and saying that he doesn't behave that way he just writes stories about dating underage girls yeah exactly so i mean it's really hard however you have to separate art from the artist sometimes you know Ooh, I, that's it's hard tough. to do, you know. Yeah. I mean, there, uh, but I love uh, James Woods. 
really oh, yeah. good he's actor. A, really a big dick. piece of shit, you know? <laughs> but that's not going to stop me from watching uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in America or uh, not watching Scanner, or not Scanners, but uh, a Videodrome. Video I mean, you know, you have to separate art from artists sometimes, you yeah. know? Yeah. Well, in those cases, too, you have so many people on those films. When I look at a Woody Allen film, exactly. me, even though there are other people working on that film, that's still like a Woody Allen film. His name is on it. Nobody refers to Annie Hall as anything other than a Woody Allen film. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's like uh, uh, people that aren't going to... A watch James Gunn movie now because of what he did recently, you know, I, or, or ten years ago or yeah, something. Yeah, ten years ago. Yeah, I don't know. I it's hard to certain, say. And uh, yeah, there are you, certain people I don't watch, and certain people I do. You know, you can you can have your opinion about that too. I'm not saying you're wrong or right or right. whatever, but I mean, just you know. To say that any Hall isn't a great film isn't true, you know, in my opinion. It's one of the better films, you know. Uh, if you ever want to see a good film about New York, because New York is a character in that film, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, people are flawed, you know. Our artists are flawed. I mean... For God's sake, you can't uh, listen to Led Zeppelin. Jimmy Page fucked so many 14-year-old groupies. Oh, yeah. I, I can't listen to... Led Zeppelin also stole a lot of their songs, too, from blues. Okay, you can't listen to them anymore. People don't... You can listen to them as long as you know where it came from. It's he, no, no, that then you're... Uh, uh, separating the artist from the art at that point, you know? So I'm not defending what they did. I'm just saying, uh, when you separate the art from the artist, you're not doing a service to the art. You know what I mean? So, yeah, there, there's a film on Netflix. I watched, uh, recently that kind of had the same take uh, on this guy who, uh, had grown up in Poland. I think we talked about it a little bit. I can't remember his uh -huh. name, but it's the art of. Yeah. It starts with S Z. Yeah, and I he remember. Was a guy who, yeah, he was kind of a nationalist uh, until Hitler invaded and drove him out. He lost all his art, moved to uh, California, and kind of recreated his own story, mm -hmm. like telling people he was different than what he was and. And then come to find out he was kind of this person. So, yeah, that's probably the best example of art versus artist is seeing a lifetime of somebody who's gone through uh, loss and how those decisions alter his perspective on where he is at that moment, like now. Uh, John Lennon uh, beat his wife. Yeah. So you can't stop listening to the Beatles. He was in the Beatles. He wrote the songs. He smacked her around. He was the artist. But the art speaks for itself, you know. Unfortunately, that's the way the world works, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I, I saw uh, Venom, the new Venom 2. Uh, yeah, what'd you think? It was pretty good. You know, a lot of critics didn't like it, you know, but I don't listen Not to fucking critics, you know. Uh, but I enjoyed it. I think Woody Harrelson was pretty good, you know, so. Woody Harrelson has somehow become the, the new bad guy, the go-to bad guy in the past uh, few years. He, he was in Solo, uh, bad guy. He yeah. was in um, War on Planet of the Apes as one of the last few humans. And that to me was one of my favorite performances of him, but I love the planet of the apes movies. So, Oh yeah. 
But yeah, yeah, he's just taken a turn for being the bad guy in a lot of films, and he's done a really good job. He is one of the best bad guys ever in Natural Born Killers. Oh, also in Kate. He's also the bad guy in Kate. Yeah, I enjoyed that film. That was pretty good stuff. That was great. Yeah, so uh, have you watched anything else? Um, This week, James Gunn's Peacemaker came out Mm -hmm. uh, on HBO Max, and uh, they dropped three episodes is the most i would say it's the most insane but the most if you're a comic book fan like me the two projects that have been put out that are the weirdest things you've ever seen are doom patrol and legion doom patrols on hbo max and uh has adventures in a dog in a donkey's asshole that's the first episode oh that makes Uh, sense in Legion, it becomes a musical in the middle of one episode. Sometimes things take place in his mind. Sometimes they don't. It's it, Those two are the weirdest ones. But, uh, but Peacemaker is just balls weird, man. Like, it's got so many, like, funny, dark things in this. This guy just, his purpose is to bring peace no matter how many people he has to kill. That's kind of his bit. And and in James Gunn fashion, the music is awesome because it's all hair metal bands. Uh-huh. And, 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 and as Peacemaker describes it, he goes, this is when music was music, when men weren't afraid to be women. <laughs> and they, they play some of the best music in there. But the opening se- sequence, the title scene, is the best on television. It is huh. a dance sequence with the entire cast. Uh, Steve Agee's in it. If you knew Steve Agee from uh, Suicide Squad, he was on Sarah Silverman's show, and he was on Superstore as Isaac. If you were a big fan of that, like I was, um, but Peacemaker is insane, and I loved it. It's on HBO Max. He's a weird character, but John Cena kind of plays him perfectly because he's broken and fucked up, and his dad's an uh, is a racist. They they uh, uh, cast his dad perfectly. It's Robert Patrick. Oh yeah. So it's so it's the T one thousand and you can't and like he just can't impress his dad. Like the first uh, episode, he gets out of jail and comes home, and his dad just cannot stop shitting on him. It, I mean, he's just the meanest dude. That's how and, you make a peacemaker, though. <laughs> and that was the, him. He had been raising that kid since he was, uh, or had been raising him to defend America. And then you find out, oh, it's he was defending white America. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, it gets a little uh, dark in there. Even even the janitor at the beginning of the show, when uh, John Cena is trying to make his escape, which is pretty fucking hilarious because his escape is in an Uber. <laughs> He he's talking to the janitor out front, and he goes, "You're not you're not a, a superhero. Batman's a superhero." He goes, "I'm Peacemaker." He goes, "Oh yeah, you don't kill white people. You just kill everyone else." He goes, "That's not me." He goes, "You should definitely kill more white people." <laughs> he goes, "Well, I will try to take that into account and observe white people as much as I do." It, it is the weirdest scene, but it's but it's James Gunn doing superheroes. So. Yeah. It's even weirder. It is R-rated. It is uh, bizarre as hell. And I love the opening sequence. It gets me happy every time I watch it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I don't have HBO, but uh, I'll check it out if I get a chance. Uh, Speaking of James Gunn, I watched Super. Oh, yes. Thoughts. Uh, first time I watched it, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, it, it, good stuff, good soundtrack, of course. Uh, I loved, uh, uh, used to be, uh, is now Elliot, um, Elliot Page at the time was Ellen Page. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a real hilarious. She was hilarious. Uh, when she kept trying to be sexy, it just cracked me up, you know. 
yeah, yeah. That was, Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon was great. And, and uh, any movie that gets uh, has Kevin Bacon getting shot in the nuts by a projectile is my <laughs> kind of movie. You know, yeah, and it's so it's not Footloose. No, no, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, uh, it was a real good film. I enjoyed it. I mean, Rain Wilson was perfect for the yeah. character, and uh, it was too bad that he uh, uh, traded uh, uh, Liv Tyler for a rabbit. <laughs> yeah, that you know what though I've seen James Gunn talk about that movie, and he said would he'd love to fuck with the audience in that movie. Yeah, because I I hated the ending on that one, and and I was just like, what is I don't understand why he would do that. So that's that's <laughs> always been a weird one for me to deal with. That was the best part of it, in my opinion. I thought it was completely I. I love any movie that is not a happy ending. I love it. <laughs> I, I mean, I love it because it's unexpected. Unexpected endings are great because yeah. happy endings are fucking boring. Life is not full of happy endings, you know. I know, but sometimes you need the escape. For the happy ending? Yeah, I, I I agree in some cases, but I do love shitty fucking endings, man. They are the best. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, what's the what's the shittiest ending to a movie? Uh, uh, Doctor oh, Strange Love. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you want to see, okay, this is the one James Gunn movie I will only watch once. Uh, have you seen the Belko experiment? Oh uh, no, I'm writing it down though. That one will fuck with you. Oh, good. The... So if 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 you want to track that one down, um, it, it a stellar cast, stellar cast. I'm not even going to tell you the plot or anything to it, but it's just fucking weird. And you get to the end, and you're just emptied. Man, I love weird-ass movies. Nothing better. The Belko Experiment? Yeah. Uh, Belko Experiment on the list? The way I can pitch it to you is it is The Office meets Battle Royale. <laughs> Yeah, that's a pretty good pitch right there, yeah. Um but yeah, like his movies I I love I love uh that he's found the fun part, the music and and like his Suicide Squad was fucking awesome movie. Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know why, but I get real enjoyment about seeing Pete Davidson's face being blown off at the beginning and realizing, oh, He's just fucking with us. We're about to just lose everything. And yeah, it just goes to exactly. Shit. That's just awesome. I mean, uh, having a, a starfish attack a city is pretty damn good. And, and well, the the thing is, is uh, Starro the Conqueror is the first villain the Justice League fight in the comic books. So if you pick up Justice League number one, that's the villain. It's not like Lex Luthor. Or, or anyone you know, it's Starro the Conqueror. But he took it as Starro being trapped and being held a prisoner by the Thinker and made it even worse. I loved it. I, I loved that movie. Yeah, that was and, a pretty and, good and, flick. I even get choked up when um, Ratcatcher uh, and her dad, when uh, Taika uh, shows up for one scene just to tell her about the rats and says, uh, if rats have a purpose, uh, I fit, so does everyone else. And just kind of this heartwarming uh, father-daughter uh, moment that I think translates pretty well. Uh, you know what? I, I saw Boss Level. Have you seen that? Yes. Frank 
Grillo. I really enjoyed that. That was a pretty good flick. Right, Grillo is the fucking man. I love his movies, but I'm scared because he did a movie with Bruce Willis last year, and so put it on their worst list. <laughs> and and so now I feel like I might have to watch it. Yeah, well, you have to at that point. I mean, I thought but it I was love- a pretty good premise too. Any movie where Mel Gibson gets shot in the head, put me <laughs> down for that. Speaking yeah. of separating art from artist, you know. Yeah, I, I, like I don't own Lethal Weapon, but like I own the Mad Max trilogy. Yeah. But I love I love the writer of the Lethal Weapon series more than the the Mad Max storyline. I don't know why. Yeah, I just Mad Max or uh, Mel Gibson has just been one I've just kind of avoided of late. Yeah, uh, yeah, but you can avoid watching him get shot in the head. <laughs> if he's if he's if he's a villain and dying and not getting paid much to be in the movie, I'd watch that. Well, I think that checks all the boxes, you know. Um, uh, one movie I did watch is by uh, uh, David Cronenberg's son. I can't remember what his name is, but Cronenberg's uh, oh. son. It was called Possessor. Because I saw the poster and I saw Cronenberg, but I didn't recognize. You know, it wasn't David. So no, it's Whoa. it's not David. It's his son. And Possessor is, I mean, the batshit, uh, uh, hyper violence does not fall far from the tree. i tell you that. It was a Cronenberg movie, but his son directed it. I mean, you can tell that genetics are in that film. I loved it. Yeah, a really good film, so... Totally violent, totally Cronenberg, you know. So yeah, I mean that's over on uh, I think Hulu. Yeah, yeah, I've been going through Hulu and just watching everything I hadn't seen there, but you know yet. What the hell? We had happened? to cancel. Uh, we had to cancel Netflix this week. Uh, we just cut back on stuff, and uh, and I was just going through seeing like, you know. Netflix has made enough movies and TV shows now. They have, like, their own type. You can kind of tell that this is a Netflix film or a show. And I just don't think that... I think they're subpar. I mean, there's a handful of great Netflix films. Extinction uh, with Chris Hemsworth is one of my favorite action films on there. I've watched it multiple times. I think it's a uh, the Russo brothers did it uh, with him. One of the best action films I've seen in years. But most of their shit is just kind of dull. Like, huh. I mean, it, it's like I don't want to say B level, but like there was uh, there was a movie with uh, oh my god Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds, uh. It made a couple years ago an action film and I tried watching that shit and just about fell asleep. Like I've never seen an action film so dull that I could care less what was going on and just fell asleep. And I feel like a lot of Netflix is just like we got a name on a film and that's it. Yeah, like Red Notice, you know, they put yeah. that you know, bunch of names together, you know, and uh a roll of dice with that, you know. Oh, we don't need a script. You know, no big deal. Yeah. I mean, they basically had those three names. You had you had a... I think the plot was somebody was an art thief, so The Rock was using Ryan Reynolds to help catch Gail Godot, who was an art thief, because he was an art thief. So it's just a buddy cop film with million-dollar stars in it. Yeah. It was okay, it was kind of funny, but it wasn't like top 10 films of the year, nowhere near. Yeah. They, me, I, I, you cast those people to make big money. 
Yeah, and uh, they don't have movies, a lot of movies where you're like, this is really, really good, you know? So. Yeah, I mean, they have, like, the Netflix Marvel series, so, like, I'd go watch Daredevil and uh, uh, Luke Cage and Jessica Jones. Um, the Defenders I rewatched before I canceled it. But, like, they have, like, steelbooks of those out, so I'll probably, if I could ever crack down a steelbook of those series, I'd buy those, because I collect all the steelbooks. Uh-huh. Yeah, but, uh, so, that's everything I've watched, and now I have to pee. Alright, well, then that means it's time. I think, final decision, I just, uh, the, the film that kind of interested me as I'm going through them is Major Dundee. Since it's the Sam Peckinpah film. Mm-hmm. So I know it's time. My dog has to pee too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with Major Dundee. Okay. If I make a change, I'll send you, I'll send you a message. All right. Sounds good. We'll see everybody next week or you'll hear us. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Out. This is Unsocial Spectators with Clay Harrison and Mark Ramsey. And uh, you can find us at unsocialspectators.com and also at unspectators on Twitter.